and lovely words to go with it too. Well, please turn to Matthew chapter 13. And this chapter is a chapter which is full of parables. There are some very well-known parables like the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and tares. And all the parables, and really most of the chapter is made up of parables, not quite all, but most, all of them are revolving around one theme. And that theme is the kingdom of heaven. You can see it mentioned many times. Verse 24, for example. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying. Or verse 33. Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. And verse 44, 45, 47. Again, speak of parables talking about the kingdom of heaven. And when we start talking about the kingdom of heaven, I think there are two basic questions that arise. The first one is exactly what does he mean when he talks about the kingdom of heaven? And the second one is, am I a citizen of that kingdom? Now, we're not really going to look at the first one tonight. I'm just going to very briefly talk about what he means by the kingdom of heaven. But we're going to focus my thoughts much more on the second one. Am I a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? How do I know? How can I be sure? But first of all, let's just look at what he means by the kingdom of heaven. As I say, it's a title that is found throughout that chapter and, of course, elsewhere. And you can see it in a number of aspects. First of all, you can think it refers to that spiritual kingdom, which is just feet and inches from us, that spiritual dimension where the people of God go when they die. We talk about believers going to heaven, don't we? Sadie, we know as a believer in Christ, went to heaven. So we can think about it in that sense as that spiritual kingdom and ultimately where all believers will be one day when Christ returns and he creates the new heavens and the new earth. But we can also think about it, and I suspect this is more particularly what Jesus had in mind, we can also think about it in an earthly sense, in the sense it refers to all those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven but are not there yet. All those who are on this earth, who are on their pilgrimage, who are on their way to the celestial city, if you like. And I think that's particularly where Jesus is coming to in this chapter because he's talking to his disciples by and large, although others were there, and he wants to talk to them about this kingdom of heaven. It's not therefore an earthly kingdom with boundaries on it. It's a spiritual kingdom, as Jesus says, and it's often called the kingdom of God. <laughs> and we may refer to it as the church, although that's not exactly an equivalent, but for a rough definition tonight, it would do. So that's what the kingdom of heaven is about. But the question we need to focus on is, are we citizens of the kingdom of heaven? And you might say, well, is it even necessary to ask that question? Yes, it is. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 that it is right we examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. In other words, whether we are citizens of this kingdom. And that's what we're going to do this evening with the help of three of the parables from this chapter. Now, some of them are very long, but I'm not going to use those. I'm going to use three of the shortest ones. They're the parable of the treasure, the hidden treasure, verse 44. The parable of the pearl of greatest price, verse 45. 
and the parable of the dragnet in verse 47. And we're going to take those three to answer this question, am I a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Now, I would urge you to focus on me this time, you in other words. Never mind the person sitting next to you or behind you. Focus on you. Am I a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? How do these parables help me know that? Well, the first thing these parables tell us is to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have found something. It's not very complicated, that. You have found something. In these three parables, something is found. In the first parable, verse 44, the farmer is ploughing a field that he had rented and he finds treasure, hidden treasure. We're told in verse 44, it's treasure hidden in a field. That wouldn't have been at all unusual in those days. Banks were only in their infancy and many people kept their valuables and in a box or a container of some sort and would hide it in the ground for safekeeping. Now, of course, when they died, if they hadn't told someone where that treasure was, it would remain undiscovered until someone accidentally came across it and that seems to be the implication here. This farmer ploughing his rented field comes across it. Of course, that still happens today, doesn't it? We hear occasionally of people having fines of Roman coins or of Viking coins. My son-in-law, Phil, uh, he has a metal detector. And on one particular occasion, before they moved back to the island, he was metal detecting in a field. And he didn't find anything except a few rusty bits of iron. But across the other side of the field, not many yards from him, another metal detector unearthed a Viking hoard which was worth quite a lot of money. And my son-in-law, Phil, has never recovered from that. (laughs) But you see, that's not entirely unknown. This parable is not a subject which is entirely unknown. So in the first parable, something is found. It's treasure. In the second parable, something is found. It's a goodly pearl. If you want to put that in a modern sense, it's a pearl of great price, of great value. This pearl merchant, his job was to trade in pearls. And he was always looking, obviously, for a pearl of great value, of great worth. And he comes across this goodly pearl. So he finds something. And even in the third parable, the parable of the dragnet, without pressing the illustration too far, something is found there, a catch of fish. Yes, there were other things caught as well, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But there was a catch of good fish. And when you come into the kingdom of heaven, you find something. You cannot be in the kingdom of heaven without finding this. It's not earthly treasure, it's spiritual treasure. It's not an earthly pearl, but it's a pearl of greatest value. It's not a quantity of good fish, it is something of inestimable more value than even a nice piece of Dover sole or haddock or whatever it might be. You find something. What do you find? You find the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which you come to believe by the grace of God. And you cannot be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven if you have not found the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that requires me just for a moment to tell you what the gospel is. You say, oh, we know that. Yes, but it's so good for Christians to constantly be reminded of that. We can never be reminded too often of the gospel. Where does the gospel begin? Well, it begins with God. It does not begin with man, 
as so often we are told, the gospel begins with God in all his glory and splendour and perfection. It then goes to man in his spiritual need, in his sinful state, in his corrupt heart, which separates him from a holy and righteous God and brings him under the righteous judgment and condemnation of Almighty God. And it reminds us that he can't do anything about it because he is born in sin. He can't earn his own salvation. And it leads us then to Jesus Christ, who is the one who bore the sins of all those who would trust in him and brought them acceptance by being a substitute and sacrifice on their behalf. Now, obviously, I've summarised that incredibly briefly, but when you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that is what you find. And you are brought to believe those truths personally, not just to know the facts of them, to embrace them personally by the working of God's spirit who works that work of regeneration to bring you from spiritual death to spiritual life. So I must ask you before we go any further, have you found the gospel? Have you found Jesus Christ to be your saviour? If you have, thank him for his love, mercy and kindness. And if you haven't, why not seek him now? Because he does say all who call upon him, he will never turn away. So the first thing that we have to say if you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven from these three parables is you found something. But the second thing we have to say is you have found something of inestimable value. We can see that again in the two, particularly the first two parables. The parable of the hidden treasure, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure, hidden in a field, which when a man hath found, he hideth for joy thereof, goeth, selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. This man, when he discovers this treasure, he doesn't just say, oh yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Oh, that's nice. He is moved to go and do something about it. He is moved to sell everything he has. You can imagine him maybe in our context of going to the estate agent and putting his house on the market. You can imagine him being prepared to sell all his possessions because if he can buy that field, he will get that treasure. Something of inestimable value is there and he needs it, wants it. Same with the second parable, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man who seeks goodly pearls, who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and brought it. Again, you can imagine that in great joy, almost him jumping up and down with joy as he realises this is the best pearl he's ever come across in his life. He needs this pearl, so he sells his house and his possessions so that he can buy this pearl, because it's of inestimable value. And when you become a Christian, you receive something of inestimable value. You don't have to go and sell your possessions. You don't have to sell your house to receive this. It is a free gift of the grace of God, but it is of inestimable value. And it is this gospel of inestimable value. This is so valuable to a soul. And when you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you know that, you appreciate something of that. It's so valuable because now you're spiritually alive when once you were dead. Now you are in an eternal relationship with Almighty God. Now you have the Lord Jesus as your Lord, Saviour, Friend. 
Now you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Now you have all the promises of Scripture unfolding before you and guaranteed in Christ. Now you have the hope of the new heaven and the new earth and all that goes with that. This is of inestimable value. It makes anything you have in this world appear as totally insignificant and useless. Your money, your job, your hobbies, your sport, your family, they may all be important and have a place, but compared with the value of entering the kingdom of heaven by embracing the gospel, they are of no value whatsoever. And the Apostle Paul appreciated this. You'll know the passage well, but I'm going to read it to you from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. This is what Paul says about the inestimable value of the gospel. Speaking of himself, Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That's an incredibly strong statement. He accounts them as dung, as absolute rubbish, because of the inestimable value of knowing Christ and serving Christ and belonging to Christ. That is the second thing that we need to ask ourselves when it comes to, are we in the kingdom of heaven? Have we found this gospel? And do we appreciate, listen to my words, do we appreciate at least something of the inestimable value of it? Do we? We have to ask ourselves. But then there is a third thing these parables teach us about finding whether we're in the kingdom of heaven. And that is we find something of inestimable value which brings joy. One of these parables explicitly states that. And it's the parable of the hidden treasure, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden in a field, which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Now, I'm sure there would have been joy in the heart of the pearl merchant as well when he found that pearl of greatest price. And I'm sure there would have been joy in the heart of the fishermen when they caught some decent fish. But it doesn't say that. But it does say this here. The man with the treasure had joy. He'd found it, he realised the value of it, and it brought him joy. When you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, It brings you joy too. There are many references in the New Testament, particularly in the writings of Paul, to the fact that when someone believes, they have joy. I'm just going to read two. First of all, from 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. Paul's talking about the conversion of the Thessalonians, and he says this, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Peter makes a similar point when he's writing in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. 1 Peter 1 verse 8. Who, having not seen, you love, in whom though now ye see him not, 
Yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. When someone becomes a believer, when someone enters the kingdom of, of, of heaven and realises they found this pearl of greatest value, there is joy in their soul. It is a spiritual joy. That's what Paul said when he was talking about the Thessalonians. It's a joy brought by the Holy Spirit. It's a joy which comes to you because you appreciate what has happened to you by the grace and mercy of God. The burden of sin has been lifted from you. God is no longer angry with you. Your sin has been put as far as the east is from the west. You stand before him cleansed, justified. You have the hope of heaven. There is great joy in those things, isn't there? These are not just academic truths, which we all know. These should bring joy to our hearts. And if they don't, there's something seriously wrong with us. These things are absolutely crucial to the life of a believer. Now, some believers express their joy by jumping up and down, waving their arms in the air, shouting hallelujah, praise the Lord, and all that sort of thing. And sometimes I think they do that because they think they ought to or emotionally move to. But this joy is at root spiritually joyful. It's something that you know in here that brings you peace with God and contentment, even with the lot of your life when you're suffering, because you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven through the greatness and kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that pearl of greatest price. So have you found that joy? Have you experienced something of that joy? It may not always be there in a great measure, but there ought to always be some recognition of joy in your soul because you know Christ. But there's one more too. To be in the kingdom of heaven means you found something of inestimable value which brings joy, but which is lasting. Something that is lasting. And the parable of the net really talks about that. Verse 47, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered all of every kind. It's actually a dragnet, I think. It's not very environmentally correct to talk about dragnets, but you know what a dragnet is. It's a net that is dragged either between two people walking along either side of a riverbank or between two ships dragging along the seabed. And this net carries everything before it, everything that it, ga- it on the seabed it will gather up. Stones, dross, fish, the lot. And that's what has happened here, verse 48. Which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, that's containers, but cast the bad away. So there's the picture. This net is completely full of all sorts of things. But the fishermen separate the good fish and put it in containers where they're secure and safe from the rest of the dross, the rocks, the rotten fish and so on. But that's not the end. Verse 49. So it shall be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The good fish are safe. The dross is discarded by the fishermen. And Christ says this is a picture of what happens at the end of time. When he comes again, he will send his angels and they will separate humanity into two groups. The parable of the wheat and tares, by the way, earlier in this chapter makes that point in more detail. They will separate them into two groups. 
He calls them later on in Matthew, he calls them the sheep and the goats, believers and unbelievers, citizens of the kingdom of heaven and those who are not. Those who are not are cast into outer darkness where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. They are punished for their sin. It's right and fair and just that they should be. People get very upset sometimes about thinking about that. They say, oh God, who can't possibly do that? But he is a perfect and righteous God and it's perfectly righteous and just for him to do that because sinners are breaking his law. And if you're still in that category of not being in the kingdom tonight, this should be an incentive to you to repent and believe the gospel while you can. Because when Christ comes again, or your death if that comes first, that will end the opportunity you have for believing the gospel and you will end up, if you're not in that kingdom, by being cast into the outer darkness where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. But you see, the believer is like the fish. The fish are put into the container where they're safe and secure, where they're going to be kept. And we are kept by the Lord Jesus Christ in this life, but more particularly in the context here, for eternity. When he comes again, we will be with him. We will see him as he is. We will be part of his new heavens and new earth with a resurrection body. We will serve him, worship him and adore him as he is our king and Lord and we will be there for the whole of eternity. It's something which is lasting. That's an amazing thought. That's an incredible thought. And it comes to us only because of the grace of God through Christ. So four things then. I've found something, or have you? I've found something of inestimable value, or have you? I've found something that brings joy, or have you? I've found something eternal, or have you? But there must be one final thing I've got to say before I close. If we are honest, and most of us in this room I know very well, and I know most of us in this room are believers, if we are honest, do we really continually appreciate what we have got in that pearl of greatest price, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we really appreciate the inestimable value? Do we really have that joy? Do we really look to the eternal blessing and benefit that comes? Or do we just sail through life and these things become just things we know? They're just academic truths in our heads. We've lost all the sense of the reality of them, the joy of them, the spark that they should bring to us. And we just plod along almost just out of routine and tradition without any real spiritual joy in our hearts. How do we stop that? Because sometimes I feel like that. You know, every Sunday standing up and preaching and doing Bible studies and this and that and the other, you just sort of get carried along. And very often you don't even stop to think about really what it is you're doing. Maybe you're not like that, but I know many Christians are. So how do you get back to this joy you felt when you were first converted? Well, I could preach another sermon on that. In fact, I would, but I can't now because time's nearly gone. But let me suggest quickly four things. Firstly, think a bit more about heaven. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Yes, you're a pilgrim now on your way there. You haven't got there yet. But think about what comes. There is not a tremendous amount of detail in the Bible about what awaits us. But there is some detail. 
place of mansions, as Jesus calls it, place where there is no sin or power or, or pain or sorrow or suffering, as we read in the book of Revelation. Think about heaven. Think about what awaits us as eternal existence there with him. Think secondly about the blessings you have here and now. Yes, you're not there yet, but you're here now and you're not left alone now. God has given you innumerable blessings to encourage, support and excite you, dare I say. You've got this to start with. The 66 books of scripture. The word of God in your language, in your hand, to show you the character and glory of God and Christ and to show you how to live. Meditate on this book. Meditating is the in word these days. That doesn't mean emptying your mind as the world thinks it does. It means taking a passage of scripture and sitting and thinking about it and drinking it in and letting it permeate through you so that you're brought to a greater sense of the glory of God and the wonder of Christ. So think about heaven. Think about what we have now with all the promises of God in the scriptures guaranteed by Christ. Think about the means of grace that God has given you. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Why are they there? They are there to encourage us in our faith, to strengthen our faith, to remind us of these glorious truths. But most of all, meditate on Christ. Focus on Christ. Think about him, who he is, what he has done, the depths he went to to save me and to save you. The pain, the agony, the suffering, never mind the physical and the mental, although that was real, but most of all the spiritual. Meditate on Christ. Meditate on his glory and his nature and ask the Lord through the power of his spirit to give you that greater sense of awe and wonder because I've found something of inestimable value which really does bring me joy, which really is eternal. I've found the pearl of greatest price, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Saviour. Amen.